So this is the last installment in our uh, four-part series on the Akedah. And what we did over the past uh, three weeks before this was the first year was devoted really to the halachic issue of and the background of why the Akedah is Kriyata Torah on Rosh Hashanah. In the second, we looked at the Akedah from a literary perspective and the literary cycles within which it's couched, which are the cycles of the birth of Yitzchak and the the threat to Yitzchak, as it were, and then the larger cycle of Avram's sons, starting with the Hagar Ishmael story, and then the bigger cycle, which is Avram's career, and seeing the the Akedah as something of the denouement of his career, and matching the beginning of Lech Lecha and Kach Lecha, etc. Uh, what I would like to explore today um, is kind of tackle some of the basic issues of the Akedah that we all grapple with and propose what might be considered perhaps a little different way of looking at it. Um, and we're going to read through the Akedah itself, which you have here on in front of you, and and do what we always need to do when reading a narrative, which is we have to put ourselves in the shoes of the, or in the mindset or whatever, of the people who are being involved, who are involved in the narrative. Uh, And in this case, the only person we have to think about is Abraham. One thing to note that everybody points out is that the Akedah is always associated with Abraham and not with Yitzchak. It's called Akedah Yitzchak, but it's Nisat Abraham. And Avram is the one who gets this, the uh, the Sachar at the end and the Bracha at the end. I kind of have to think about that, like where's Yitzchak in the whole picture? That's part part of it. But we're going to read through and ask questions along the way. And then we're going to try to take a look at it from Avram's perspective, because I think that's the only way to see it. Which couches us in the after the brit that Avram made with Avimelech, the famous Rashbam, Baha'i Nisat Avraham. Now, in the last session, uh, we pointed out that the Midrash read Nisa in two different ways. One was tested, and it talked about how the potter tests only the good pots, etc. And Nisa also as being raised up. All right, so we're going to leave that open, what it is that Hashem did, which is the title of the whole story, Nisat Avraham. So he says to him, Abraham, and Abraham says, I'm ready to do whatever you want. Now, the question is, is Hineni, which really starts here, the famous Hineni, starts here, is, what does Hineni mean? I mean, here I am, but what does that mean? So I'm going to just kind of pop in the back of our heads is that maybe Abraham at this point is expecting something very large. And for that reason, he says, Hineni, like, I'm here to do your bidding. Keep that locked away for a little while. Vayomer. Kachna et bincha et yechidcha asherahavta et yitzchak. And as I pointed out two weeks ago, that mirrors very much lech lecha mi'artzacha, me'oladcha, betavicha, terms of endearment. Terms of endearment about his past and his family. And here it's terms of endearment of his future and his son. And go to the land of Moriah. We don't know where Moriah is. We have traditions about where Moriah is. 
Now, there's no question that Avraham understands this command to be to offer Yitzchak up as a korban. Whether, like Rashi says, he slightly misunderstood, whether, like Rabag says, he completely misunderstood, doesn't matter. That's what Avraham understands. The question is that we have to ask is, why did Avraham understand it that way? In other words, since the phrasing of Aleu Sham Leola could be read in numerous ways, why not read it in the most, shall we say, self-charitable way? In in a way that would be most advantageous to him, which is not to kill his kid. Let him read it like the Rabag says, which is take him up and do a Korban Ola. Or like Rashi says, take him there and sanctify him on his back and bring him down. Why does he read it in the most in the harshest possible way? Okay, now, at the end of Pasuk Bet, there's a gap. There's no gap in the text. There's a gap in our thinking, which is, we expect, or a gap in our expectations, we expect Avraham to do what after he's given this command that he understands to be, kill your son and offer up as a sacrifice to me. What do we expect Avraham to do at that point? And everybody who's anybody complains that he doesn't do this. What do we expect him to do? He doesn't argue. He doesn't argue. Why would we think Avram would argue? Because Avram does argue. When does Avram challenge God? Sodom. What? And even before Sodom. Everybody likes to point to Sodom. But we could say, aha, Sodom is selfless. Sodom is about other people. Sodom is about people whose lives are antithetical to Avram. And that shows how great he is that he's going to plead for the, you know, can't just kill the, the innocent. Well, he has a, a da, a how will I know? He argues with them then. Exactly, right. Even earlier than that, when God promises him something, yeah. he says, me an inheritance, I don't have any kids. What's the point? And then afterwards, God says, I'm going to give you the land. He says, how do I know? So Avram's willing to be in conversation with God and challenge God, and you would fully expect here for Avram, because he thinks it means to offer him up as a korban, to say, why are you going to do this? Why? Can we do something else? Can we find some other? Right? He doesn't say a word, but it gets worse. And, and, and he also argues about Ishmael. What? Say it again. He also argues about Ishmael's place in the family. Correct. Very good. When uh, correct, and we're going to actually touch on that passage when Hashem tells Avram Sarah's going to have a kid and call me Yitzchak. He says, "Oh, I wish that Ishmael would live." Right? And Hashem says, "I'll take care of Ishmael. Don't worry." But Yitzchak will be your will be Good point. So he's willing to challenge God. Where is he? Why isn't he challenging God here? But like I said, it gets worse. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were given a command like that, I, would, I wouldn't be able to sleep, but I would not rush to leave. And I would find all sorts of excuses. Read as an example. It's a bad example, but just an example. In Shoftim Yod Tet, in the very infamous story of Pilegesh Pegiva, it starts out with the guy going back to Beit Lechem after a few months to pick up his Pilegesh. And the father keeps him there and says, let's have a meal. And then by the time the meal's over, it's too late to leave. Stay, tomorrow you'll leave. And this goes on for five days. You would think that Avram would sit and have breakfast and a little cappuccino and make a little walk. And then, okay, tomorrow I'll go. Instead, Vayashkem Avram Baboka, he gets up early. And Vayashkem implies he's getting up early to take a journey, meaning to Lashkim, to put something on his shoulders. Now, the sequence of events here is also bizarre. He gets up early. Now, he's an old man. He's 100 plus, however old Yitzhak is, add 100 to that. 
right? 113 according to Ibn Ezra, 126 according to one Midrash, or 137 according to another Midrash, right? Okay. He's an old man, and he's got slaves, he's got servants. Vayachavosh et chamaro. He saddles the donkey. Now, by the way, what does he put on the donkey? He evidently puts provisions, but not the wood. Vayikach et shnei Then he takes two lads with him. V'yit yitzchak beno. So notice the sequence. First he saddles it, then he gets the two boys. Why does he have the two boys saddle it? And then he gets Yitzchak. So now all four of them are standing there. Avram, the two lads, and Yitzchak with a donkey that's saddled up. And now Vayivaka Atse Ola. He chops wood for the Ola, which is bizarre on two levels, actually on three levels. Level one, why is he chopping the wood here? Why not wait till you get to the destination and find some wood and chop it there? Think about it. Why chop wood here and schlep it however far you're going to go and wait for God to show you a place and then use the wood? Chop the wood there. The second thing is, why is he chopping the wood? Why doesn't he have the kids chop the wood? And third of all, why is, if he's going to chop the wood, why not do it at the beginning and saddle it on the donkey? In other words, the sequence is odd. The whole wood chopping is bizarre. He gets up and goes to the place that God showed him, told him, which means he goes towards the land of Moriah, which evidently he knew where that was. Okay. The truth is, at the beginning of this story, we are assaulted by a tidal wave of questions about his behavior and what he doesn't do, and the order in which he does it. All right. On the third day, he looks up, he sees the place. How does he identify the place? Okay, that's Midrash addresses that, the cloud over the mountain. So what does he say to the boys? You guys stay here with the donkey. I and the lad, are going to go over there. Which means it's clear that this is a family worship and the lads aren't welcome. And so I and the lad will go over to there, kind of like Rabag says, me and the boy are going to go do some worship, and then we'll come back. Now, we'll come back, of course, is a loaded phrase. Because from Avram's perspective, we ain't coming back. I'm coming back. So what? But he doesn't say that. He says we will come back. I was going to say, so we don't really know what he knows yet in terms of... Well, we, we certainly do from his behavior. We know what he does. Right, which means either he's saying it to lie so that Yitzhak won't pick up on the singular and say, I guess I'm not coming back. He's saying it because Nashuva is sort of a broad, you know, the royal we. Or maybe Nashuva expresses a hope that he has somewhere that it's going, he's going to be stopped. That the whole thing is strange. Now Avram takes the wood. Notice, by the way, every almost every time Yitzchak is Yitzchak Beno. The emphasis on Yitzchak, his son. And he puts the wood on Yitzchak. So here's Yitzchak carrying wood on his back. He himself takes the fire, got fire in a pan, and he takes the cleaver. Machelet is 
a knife, but it's more than a knife, and it's something that shows up only twice in Tanakh. Here in this story, and Pilagesh Pigiva, when the guy carves his Pilagesh up into 12 pieces. All right? And the two of them walk together. It's a beautiful image. And by the way, if you're the boys, what do you see? You see the young son carrying the wood, the father, the older father carrying the knife and the fire, and they're going off together to this holy mountain to do a worship ceremony. Looks very nice. And we uh, got to accompany them part of the way. Now notice how much there's father, son, back and forth. He says to Avram, his father, and he says, father. Notice he again uses hineni, but now not to Hashem, but to his son. All right? This is, the, this is where hineni is in this parak. So he says, we got everything except for the animal. Right? Which means that is Yitzchak suspicious? Is Yitzchak just curious? Unclear. Now look at the wording there, and there's a lot there. He says, God will show us the sel leola bini. He'll show us the the the, the uh, sheep for the ola, my son. But if you parse it differently, hasel leola bini, meaning my son is the ola. But the civil pshat is, he says, God will show us the sevai chushnei miachtav. So Yitzchak asked this question, where's the animal? He says, God will show us the animal. He said, God shouldn't, couldn't show us the wood? God couldn't lead us to some fire? Right? God couldn't hide a knife for us? Right, so, which means that Yitzchak is trusting that what Avraham, the command that Avraham got from God was, you go to this place and I'll provide the animal. Maybe. Now, and now watch what happens. Avram builds a mizbeach, puts some stones together. He takes the wood, again, that he cut all the way back there and, and, and had slept. He didn't slept it, but they slept it with the donkey, and then Yitzchak, and he sets it up on the on the, uh, on the mizbeach. He ties Yitzchak. He puts it on top of the wood on the Mizbeach. And by the way, you watch the imagery. Walking up the mountain, the wood was on Yitzchak. Now on top of the mountain, Yitzchak's on the wood. It's flipped around. All right? Avram takes his hand. He takes out the cleaver. Again, the constant emphasis, his son. And now, the famous thing we've all been waiting for, which we aren't nervous when we read it because we know what's going to happen. But we should be nervous because we should not know what's going to happen. Malach calls to him and says, Avraham, Avraham. Again, Hineni. So he says, Hineni to Hashem. He says, Hineni to Yitzchak. He says, Hineni to Hashem again. The Malach. Don't kill him. Don't even touch him. Don't do anything. What does Ma'uma mean? What? What is Ma'uma? Anything. A thing. Ki atayadati. Ki ayirayalim atavlo chasachta pincha itichidchamimani. Now I know, and that's of course a very different phrase, a different difficult phrase, that you fear God and you did not withhold your only son, your pincha yichidacha, your very unique son, special son, from me. In other words, you were willing to sacrifice him, so now I know that. Okay, 
But that's weird. What, Hashem doesn't know what Avraham is capable of doing? I mean, the whole problem of a test, and the reason the Midrash grapples with the test, if we reread Nisa as a test, and from here it seems to be, is why would God ever test anybody? You test people to find out what they're capable of. God knows what you're capable of. He doesn't need to test you. I give tests in school every week or quizzes. Because I have to know my students are studying. God doesn't need to do that. God doesn't know how to But now Avraham knows. Isn't that the point? Yeah, but I would love it. Except the text says, Atayadati. Now I know that you fear God. That's the problem. And that's the problem. I, I I can't overcome that problem. I'm just pointing out the problem. So what's Avraham's first reaction when the Malach stops him? I don't know about you, but my first reaction would be to quote Yitro, Baruch Hashem. Baruch HaTov HaMeiti. Hallel. Instead, again he cast his eyes up. Before he cast his eyes up and he saw the place, now he sees a ram. It's over there, stuck in a thicket. He takes the ram. And he offers it as an Allah in place of his son. All right, and now how does the story end? This is going to be very quick because our main issue really is to go back and 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 provide a context and a mindset where most of the big questions are gonna are gonna be seen in a different light and fall away. Big promises. God, Avram names the place. What's the pl- name of the place? God sees. As we say today, go be seen by God on the mountain of God. And that's, of course, a difficult phrase, the famous Ibn Ezra there. The Malach calls to him a second time. He's taking an oath in the name of God, talking in God's voice. Because you did this and not did not withhold your son, your only son, I will bless you. Sounds familiar. I'm going to increase your seed like the stars in the heavens, and like the sand by the sea. Your, your children will capture the gates of their enemies. They'll be successful in war. Through your seed, all the world will be blessed. By the way, this is a repeat and reaffirmation of earlier promises. Could you listen to me? And then, then Avram returns to the boys. Together they go. Where is Yitzchak? Is Yitzchak one of the boys here or not? Interesting question. And together they go to Beersheba. And Avram is in Beersheba. Okay. So the difficulties are, are rife. And I, I listed them here. Thank you, Jason. I listed them here. Um, and by the way, important to note that Yitzchak never shows up again with Avraham. When Avraham returns to the lads, the simple read of it is the two lads, and Yitzchak's not here. The minute Yitzchak is off the Mizbeach, we never see him with Avraham again. In the next story, Sarah dies, and Avraham negotiates for a place to bury her, and Yitzchak's nowhere there. In the next scene, Avraham sends his servant to Haran to find a wife for Yitzchak, and that seems to be from Hebron. Yitzchak's nowhere near, and the servant brings the wife to Beersheba, where Yitzchak is, and Yitzchak marries Rivka, and Avram's not in that scene. 
And the only time that Yitzchak and Avram are ever within Dalet Amot of each other in the text is when Avram dies and Yitzchak buries him with Ishmael. Yitzchak and Ishmael bury him. So Yitzchak has disappeared here. What is going on? Now, Kierkegaard, in his beautiful fear and trembling, indicates, and by the way, there's Midrashim that would kind of support this idea, that one way to look at it is to say that that uh, that Yitzchak just was so, tra- so traumatized by this event that he couldn't be with Avram, and it's understandable. But I think there's something else going on and something much larger. And to do that, we have to go back to the beginning. When we first meet Avraham, and we're going to touch on this because they're well-known things. When we first meet Avraham, we see that Avraham is married to Sarai, and we're told right away that Sarai is barren. She has no kids. All right, that's the setting. When we get to Lech Lecha, a curious thing happens. Hashem says to Avraham, Lech Lecha. What does Lech Lecha mean? It means you go, you in the singular. You go. I'm going to show you the land. And I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, you got to think, I'm Abraham. God is promising me that if I go, or tell me to go, and when I go, what's he going to do? He's going to make me a great nation, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you famous, and you'll be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse the one who curses you, and through you, all of the world is going to be blessed. The first premise here is, I'm going to have a large nation. And a large nation assumes, I'm going to have a lot of kids, and they'll have a lot of kids, etc., Right, But like with any other nivuah, you always have to keep in mind the the equivocal nature of the words, the ambiguity of the promise, and you have to keep alive all the different ways in which it might play out to be able to keep your eyes open and see, oh, this is how it's going to play out. People who write scripts for God end up getting fired by by the writing company. People write scripts for God. God, this is how you're supposed to do it. Like people who say, God, this is how you're supposed to redeem your people. A secular government can't be. So therefore, it's not redemption. You don't get to tell God how to do things. If God wants to redeem his people through secular Zionists, that's how he's going to do it. Now, a quick example of this. God, uh, Yaakov bin Nevoah gives brachot to his sons on his deathbed, right? And the, one of the sons is Yehuda. And what does he say to Yehuda? The scepter shall never depart from Yehuda. So if you're Yehuda standing at the deathbed, what do you think that might mean? That as soon as Yaakov dies, I'm going to be named head of the family. Guess what? doesn't happen. But it was Nivuah. So he says, maybe it means that when we are big enough of a family that we need a tribal leader, I'll be the tribal leader. doesn't happen either. Okay, maybe it means, and it's passed down through generations. And I don't know about you, but I certainly, if I were in the Midbar, I would think, if I'm part of Shevet Yehuda, that when we finally get to the land, and at some point we appoint a king, the king will be one of us. Right? That would make sense. That's what Yaakov promised. The scepter shall never depart from Yehuda. Except that the first king is from Binyamin. Which means I have to continue, constantly reinterpret what that Nivua means until I get to the Ramban, who says, means once a, a Judean king is named, then it will never leave the tribe. And indeed, that's the case with David. So the same way, Avram has promised a huge nation. But you got to think, what, that, what might that mean? So just one thing to point out here about Avram's journey. Vayelech Avram, 
Who left? Avram. Just like God told him, Avram went. And who tagged along Lot? But in the next Pasuk, it doesn't say, it says, Avram took Sarai and Lot and all the property and all the slaves. In other words, the Pasuk Dalit seems to be describing what Avram was supposed to do. He was supposed to leave alone. In matter of fact, he was loyal to Sarai and he went with her and he took her. And Avram, by the way, consistently demonstrates unbelievable loyalty to his family in the spite of the difficulties. And that includes Sarai and that includes Lot and that includes Hagar and includes Ishmael, everybody. And at every point, he's actually forcibly separated from them. But here's the kicker. He comes to the land with Sarai, the barren wife, who he refuses to, 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 to add to or to trade in or anything else. Sorry to use such pedestrian language. He refuses to have a concubine or to divorce or anything else. He sticks with Sarai. And in as soon as he gets there, what does God say? I'm giving this, this uh, how do you call it, this land to your seed. And then when he separates from Lot, Zaracha, 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 I'm going to give the land to your seed. Right? Now notice, in Avram takes him at his word, and at Bripentarian, the thing that Jason mentioned, he says, Hey, Lilona you haven't given me any kids. I have my, my worker is going to inherit me. My FCFO, Eliezer, is going to inherit me. And what does God say? Lo He won't inherit from you. You'll have somebody that actually comes from you. But then he takes Avram outside and shows him the stars. We dealt with that and the timing of that. And he says, count the stars. Can you count them? That's how many Cesar Echa you're going to have. And consistently, the promise of Brit Ben Avram and I'm giving this land from the, the, the Nile to Euphrates, however far it is, it's all very strange to a man who's getting older, has no kids, and then finally here he has one kid with Hagar. It's all very strange. And then watch what happens. And by, by the way, you're Avram, and you're trying to figure out what did God mean with his promises? I'm getting older. Sarai is getting older. Sarai's not having any kids. She's already postmenopausal, never had kids. What's this problem of all, with this promise of all the kids? And then it gets even bigger. Hashem says to him, I'm changing your name to Avraham because you're Av Hamon Goyim. You're the father of many nations. And he expresses that. And again, Zaracha, Zaracha, Zaracha. And separately, he says, I'm going to bless Sarai and she's going to give you a son. Separately. Now, here is where you pointed out, Robert, you pointed out um, that Avram laughs and Avram says, Lu Yishmael that Ishmael should live. And, and God says, Sarah is going to give you a kid and you're going to call him Yitzchak and I'm going to keep my breed with him and with Zaro Acharav. But Yishmael, don't worry, I'll take care of him. He's going to have a lot of people. And then what do we hear at the end of that chapter, Brit Milah? Exactly on this day, all of Beit Avraham did Milah, did Brit Milah. Beit Avraham, that's Avraham's followers, Avraham's soldiers, Avraham's treaty members, perhaps, right? And now, in the story of, going quickly, in the story of the lead-up to the negotiations about Stone, Hashem says, I have to tell Avraham what I'm going to do, because Avraham is going to be a great nation, and the whole world's going to be blessed through him because he's going to command 
his children and his household afterwards to keep Derech Hashem. In the meantime, all of these big promises, and Avram Sachakol has two kids, and by the time Yitzchak is weaned, one of the kids is sent away. By the way, sent away from home, leaving his father's house to go wander to a place that Hashem ends up showing him. Hmm. So you're Avraham. How do you interpret your own personal history of all these years? Here's what I'm going to suggest. Avraham, perhaps, has interpreted the key word zera differently than its usual meaning. And Avraham understands zera to mean his followers. You're going to be a great nation and you're going to attract lots of followers. And that's going to be your big nation. And you're going to impress upon them and bring them close. And they're going to inherit this land. And through them, all of the world's going to be blessed. And then something changes, which is Ishmael is born. And God promises that Ishmael is going to be big. He even promises Hagar in utero, Ishmael is going to be big. And when Yitzchak's going to, is, is, the, is the announcement of the Yitzchak, birth of Yitzchak, Yishmael is going to be great, he's going to be a big, big nation, because he's your kid. And then, when the key moment comes, after Yitzchak is born, Avram has to send Yishmael away, and Yishmael is sent away from his father's home to go to a different place, pretty much all alone. And you think about, it, if you're Avram, what are you seeing happen in front of you? Yishmael is doing what I did. Ishmael is doing the Lech Lecha. Ishmael is wandering and leaving home to start his own nation, and he becomes a huge nation. So what do I make of Yitzchak? I know this sounds terrifying, but I'd like to propose that Avraham actually expected this command. He expected that the culmination of Yitzchak's life would be what we might call martyrdom that the culmination of Yitzchak's life is going to be his Akedah. And that this will be, again, not the culmination only yet, the culmination of Avram's career, of showing absolute loyalty to God. And so Avraham has followers, and Avraham has a whole beginning of a whole nation that's following him. He's also got seed through Yishmael that's left and is starting his own nation. And the Avrahamic message, the Avrahamic publicity is going to happen through this act, which is Avraham and the promised son. And so when Hashem says to him, Avraham, I was expecting this. And he says, Hineni, I'm ready to do it. And what does he say? And to Avraham, it sounds like the original message of Lech Lecha. You're on your own. And you take the one that you love. And take him to the mountain, and Haleu Sham which Avram assumes right away without question, means offer him up. It's the culmination of Avram's life, of demonstrating to the world absolute fealty to God. So Avram is is zealous for this. He gets up early in the morning, but now watch the sequence of events. I know this is horrific, but it's only horrific to us because we know how the story ends, and thank God we're all here. And I'm named Yitzchak, so I know it's good. Avram gets up early in the morning because he's zealous to do this. 
he himself saddles the donkey, like the Midrash says, you're so taken with the love for God that you forget your position, you're an old man. He saddles the donkey. Then he gets the boys with him, and what does he do? He chops the wood. This is his mitzvah. And he chops the wood in their presence because they have to see this ritual act. And so he chops the wood and they start walking. And when they get to that point, he says, we're going to go and worship. It is a combined worship of Avram and Yitzchak here that's going to happen. And perhaps the hope is we'll return. But maybe we will return means I will return. And so he takes the wood and he puts it on top of Yitzchak, of course, symbolizing what's going to happen. Yitzchak is already the korban while they're walking. And as they're walking, Yitzchak says to him, Avi, and he answers the way he answers God because he sees Yitzchak already in that mode. Yitzchak is already part of the divine retinue, as he will. That's where he's going to go. Hineni. And he says, God's going to show us the set, Leolah Bani. You're the set. And they walk together, single purpose. And I, I know, as I say it, I know that this sounds so wacky. But again, be inside of Avraham's mind, and what Avraham's experienced, and the promises that God has given to Avraham. And maybe this is how he's interpreting it. Maybe he's not so surprised by the command. And so they come to the place, and he ties up Yitzhak. By the way, Yitzhak doesn't protest here at any, any point. We don't hear that. And he's ready to slaughter him. And the Malach stops and says, okay. You have done what you needed to do, which means you've demonstrated to the world your absolute allegiance to God. Now, take him down. I'm not reading it like Rashi, that he misinterpreted the command. Certainly not like the Ralbag. But the Tayadati means Kiatahodata. Now you publicize how much you fear God and how loyal you are to God. Now there's no need to go through with this. Mission accomplished. But mission accomplished means that Yitzhak can no longer be with you. Mission accomplished means you have now sanctified your seed. Not your seed, your followers, your seed, your child. And so what's the first thing that Avram does when he's, when he's told to release Yitzhak? He goes and finds a ram to offer up in lieu of Yitzhak because this has to culminate with an actual offering. And God, just like Avram said, provided it. There it is, stuck in the thicket. He grabs it and he offers it up. Yitzchak is never with Avram after this because this is where Avram's road of loneliness culminates. And Yitzchak has to begin like Avram began on his own. And now we have is Ishmael on his own, Yitzchak on his own, Avram on his own. And when you roll back and see the message that Avraham got throughout those years, the Zaracha, and how Avraham likely started interpreting that message, that this may be referring to followers. And then finally, when a son is born, a second son is born, perhaps he understood that the first son is the one who's going to have the population, and the second one is going to be the one that bears the message. And how's he going to bear the message? Shem says, Avram doesn't argue because Avram is expecting this command, or should we say he's not surprised by the command. Avram does all of this work in front of the boys because it's part of the ritual that he's anticipating and that he's on his way to do. 
And he's zealous to do it because this is the culmination of his life's work. The fatherly pain that he certainly is feeling, we assume, is subsumed under the the anticipation of completing his life's goal. And at the end, he finally completes his life goal, and we hear that, and indeed, the whole world's going to be blessed through his kids, through Yitzchak. But he's going to have to be in the background for it. I'm suggesting this with a big question mark and a very heavy heart. But if indeed there's any a scintilla of accuracy to this approach, then it immediately removes some of the most grievous questions that we have on the Akedah, including about Avram's behavior and why Avram interpreted the command the way that he did. Um, interested to hear people's reactions, so let me know. And, but give it a little thought first, let it sink in, and then, uh, and, then, uh, and then tell me what you think. Now, are you saying Yitzchak was aware of this or not? I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. Um, and it's a good question. And where does Yitzchak go if he disappears after all this? Are you saying it's from Evidently, he goes to Beersheba. Evidently, he goes to Beersheba and Avram goes to Hebron. They go back I, to Beersheba and Yitzchak seems to stay there. But you're saying that Avraham has to give him up because of the commitment. I get that. Right. But I, I suppose that means he has to explain this to Yitzchak. Uh, maybe, or maybe Yitzchak even understood from the beginning. Maybe Yitzchak is part of this and understands from the beginning. Uh-huh. Could be. And the Atayadati you're, you're reading is... Another thing to explore, which is a different shear, which is, what's Yitzchak thinking throughout this whole thing? Well, clearly it that's... Be, it may be that they're on the same, on exactly on the same wavelength, which may be why the text says twice, by they're on the same wavelength. But it's not the wavelength we think. What I was thinking was the musicality of the Bini, Yechidcha Bini, that you could hear the violins playing in the background, where it's like my son, my son, my son, as it's getting more of the drama as he's going up the yeah. mountain. I, I have no question that that's there. The question is, what's the nature of the drama? Is the drama a drama of tragedy or a victory, or both? Uh-huh. And one last clarification. When he is told Lechacha in the beginning, he's supposed to leave Sarah also? Uh, that's the way I understand what Lech Lecha means, and that's why in Pasuk Dalid, when it's, he's described as leaving alone, it says, Kasher Diberi Lav Hashem, just like Hashem said. Uh-huh. Right? In the next Pasuk, it actually describes what he actually did, which takes Sarah and Lot and all this stuff, etc. Uh-huh. One more thing I remember now. And so, yeah. when when he sees, when he hears the command from God to not go through with the knife, and he looks up to see the ram. Yeah. How does that drive with the whole notion of, like you said, you would think you'd say Baruch Hashem, you say some blessing or something like that. So how does how does that response drive with the way? Because, he, because he because he sees, at least in the way I'm presenting it, he sees that this ceremony, this ritual, whatever it is, the completion of this ritual is the is the capping of his career. And so there's a korban, there's a fire, there's a korban that has to be brought, and God has provided the the animal for the korban that has got to be completed in order for this event to reach his ah so it's not finished when he says hold back he's he's that's right okay so that makes sense okay all right and we should uh always be spared from the the pain of uh not knowing what uh what akurish baruch wants from us because baruch hashem we know and then we got to do okay